I'm excited about today. I'm excited about this message. Today we're going to be finishing off our mini-series that we've been doing for the last three weeks and also finishing off our series, the larger series that this kind of mini-series sprang off of. And if you're just joining us, I'll kind of let you know what's been going on. We're, we've been going through a series of seven psalms, and we went through and picked out seven psalms that we can look at and kind of dissect and examine, and most importantly, apply to our lives today. What is God saying in these, in these psalms to us, and how can we use it and uh, learn and grow from it in our lives? And it's been our hope all through this series, that our appetite would be kind of wet for a deeper desire to go into this book, to look at this book, and to examine it, to look at the Psalms. And my personal hope for all of us, myself included, because I know it's easier said than done, is that we would form a habit and a hunger to kind of want to go through the Psalms, go through this book on a regular basis, to be looking at this. And I shared, I think, last week, maybe the week before, that I grew up in a house where we read the Psalms every day as a family, and it was something that I really could see how that impacted my life. And I would hope that that would be encouraged to do that as well, even if it is on a daily basis, or maybe not. Either way, doing this on a, reading the Psalms on a regular basis is something that will impact your life. And... Uh, I say that because we're only, we only did seven songs, and so obviously there are 150. There are a lot that we didn't look at, and so I would hope that you'd want to go home and read the rest. Now, to start, let's do kind of a quick recap of what we've kind of been doing over the last few weeks. Now, as I mentioned, this is a, a mini-series that sprang out of an actual the Fuller series, a series of seven songs, and we're calling it a mini-series because we're actually in week 10 of uh, seven psalm series, which is because we're taking a little bit more time on this last one, and we've been looking at Psalm 119, and if you don't know, that is a long one. It's quite large, it's the longest psalm, and it's even the longest chapter in the Bible. So we're taking a little bit of extra time, it's, uh, and a little bit about it, I already kind of went over this, so just to sum up for the people who are maybe here for the first time, or uh, at least in this series, the... It's a 176-verse poem, or prayer, that uh, is written really interestingly because it's broken down into 22 different stanzas, and 22 is significant because it's, each stanza is represented by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of really intricately written and put together, and it's this kind of cool poem. And uh, being that this psalm is so large, and that three weeks is not much time. We've been moving fairly quickly through it, but as I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again, we are going to read all of the text. We're not just going to pick out a few really cool verses, something that I felt really strongly in my heart that uh, I did kind of fight with for a bit because it is more difficult time-wise, uh, but I really felt like God wanted us to look at this in its entirety. Because it is God's word, and he wants to speak to us through it. And uh, so that's why we've been reading through it in this mini-series, all of the verses, all 176, which we'll get to the end today. And I do believe, as I've mentioned, that God really does want to speak to us. He really wants us to be open 
And so even though we're not going to have time to dig in to every topic and every theme, because there's so much text that we're going to be going through, I do want to encourage you to really be open, to have your hearts open even as we're reading this text, and let God speak to you and speak through the text. And I believe that God's Word is something amazing, and it does have a power to impact us and to transform our lives even in itself. And so if we're open for that, if we're open to receive what God wants to say to us, I think we will all leave here with something. We'll all leave here with an encounter of God impacting us through His Word. So I encourage you to be open for that. And over the last two weeks in this mini-series, we've been, we have been kind of grabbing some key themes in the text, because we're going through so much, there are, there's been kind of some focuses, uh, in addition to touching on a lot of other topics that I do think were important for us to touch on, but we did have a focus, and I want to go back through those, uh, so for a couple reasons, one, because we're ending the series, we're going to be kind of finishing off this long psalm, and as I mentioned, I do think that God wants us to kind of have an idea of this psalm in its entirety, so I want us to be able to be looking out for these themes again in our text today even if we're not going to be digging in as deep on those topics. And also, we can see kind of how the psalm leads to its ending, to its conclusion. So in the first week, we looked at how we are blessed in obedience to God's Word and to His commands. When we live in obedience to His Word, God is going to bless us. That's how the psalm begins. That's actually how all of the psalms begin. We, we looked all the way back at Psalms 1 that it starts with this kind of, we are blessed in living in obedience to God's Word. And, uh, but what does this really mean? How do we actually apply this to our lives? What does it mean to, to kind of live that out? And we looked at the simplest way to start is by putting the Word of God, putting the Bible in our hearts. We want that to be a part of who we are. And the easiest way to do that is to be taking time to memorize Scripture, taking time to read the Scripture. And something I think is really cool for us today that makes it a little bit easier and even for us lazier people or people who are really busy and don't have a lot of time, you can just pop in some headphones and listen to the Bible as you're traveling on the train or on the bus. And for those of you who can, as you're at work, you can just be having God's Word being put into you, being put into your heart all throughout your day. So, with this in mind, we also looked at how the Bible, in our first week, is how the Bible is like a mirror, and as we look into that mirror, it shows us a reflection of who we really are in our, in our human nature, in our faults and our failures, and, and we see an image of our sin in our lives, and how far we are from perfect, and that we're reminded then of who God is forming us into, that we're being formed into the image of Christ. So that was kind of our main themes of week one and week two. Last week, a part of that blessing that we have in being blessed and living in obedience to God's word and knowing his word, putting it in our hearts, is that we are blessed and we can stand on God's promises, the promises of his word, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, if whether it's just a rough week, or I shared that I have always in my life kind of dealt with different types of anxieties, and no matter what we're facing, no matter what kind of hardship, that we can stand on God's promises, we can go to His Word. 
So it all starts with putting it in our heart, and then from that, we have these tools that we can stand on in times of hardship, and that we're not defined by our situations, our hard situations, or our problems, but rather God is molding us through them. And that's much more encouraging. And in his word, he offers us promises of, of peace in times of storm, of comfort in times of affliction. And when we come to our sins, when we come to our failures, he offers us forgiveness. And we can stand on these promises. And of course, the greatest of these, as we looked at last week, is our salvation. That we have an opportunity to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as believers. And this is the greatest promise that we can stand on. And ultimately, everything is temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. We have a great hope of what's to come. Where we get to spend an eternity in the presence of God and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That that is our ultimate hope. That's what Paul talks about. Running the race to win, that's the prize. That's the crown. That's the thing that we aim for. So no matter what we're going through, we can stand on that promise and that hope. And today we're going to be, we're in week three, so before we get started, let's just take a minute and pray. Father, we thank you so much, as always, for your word, for your truth, for your message that you've given to us, and as we're reading, reading your word, talking about your word, I ask that it would be something that sinks into our hearts, does give us this excitement, this hunger, and that we would be uh, just open to receive whatever it is that you have for us today as individuals, as in our personal situations, that you would speak into our hearts, and that you would open my heart, Father, to speak only your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, it's a great opportunity to open them up, turn them on. We're going to start with where we left off in Psalm 119. We'll start with verse 121. And we'll read the first stanza. Again, we're going to go through it in stanzas, looking at these kind of sections and how they're broken down. So 121 through 128. <clears throat> I have done what is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Now this passage, this passage kind of uh, <clears throat> has this cool transition. If we look at the beginning to the end, so it opens with, I have done what is righteous, and it ends with, I hate every wrong path. I don't think that's an accident. I think there's a purpose in that and something that we can kind of glance at that there's a, a purpose because they're connected. They're one and the same. That when we do what is righteous, when that is what our heart's desire is, to do what is right, we are going to hate every wrong path. 
And then all through the middle of this, we kind of see this recap of our, our study so far. As I mentioned, we're going to be seeing this all through his, his oppressions and dealing with his afflictions and how he looks to God. He looks to and trusts in God as his refuge and stands on his righteous promises. And he knows that it's God who teaches him. It's God who opens his heart and gives him this understanding. He says, teach me, give me discernment that I may understand. So he calls on him because he knows that it's only through him that he can truly understand, truly grasp, and, tru and truly be impacted by God's commands and God's word. It is God who has taught him, and it's God who is teaching us today. It is through him and through the Holy Spirit within us that the word becomes alive and active to us. Now, in verse 126, it's an interesting one. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Now, this is an interesting one because how do we bring this verse into what we're looking at today? It's almost this call of, for judgment. Are we to be praying that God rains hellfire on all the sinners of Freiburg? That he does a great act and shakes up things? I think... One way that we can understand this verse better, especially in our current, where we are today, is if we look at it in light of verse 127 and 128. I want to read those again. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, so this deep longing, this deep love and appreciation for God's word, and because I consider your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. We want to see God act, but we want to see Him first act in us. Let's start with ourselves. Let's cry out for God to do a work, to act. Lord, it's time to act, but let's point that to ourselves first. That God would first do an act in us, then through us. And then we also want to see God's work in others. But when we talk about the wrong in the world, let's first look into our own hearts. Because we do want to hate every wrong path, meaning we want to hate sin. Not just because the Bible says sin is a bad thing, or because you always heard that, or it just sounds bad. We don't want to just hate sin for the idea or the fact of hating sin. We want to hate it because of what its effects are on people, how it affects people's lives and the way that they see the world and the way that they make decisions. It changes the direction of people's lives when they're living in sin. When sin is something that's kind of clouding our hearts. It makes this, this kind of cloudiness between us and God and our communication with Him and it's a cloudiness about where we're supposed to be going in our lives. We looked at last week that the, and we sang today that the Word of God is, is a, a lamp for our path. It's something that lights up. It's something that illuminates. And so the opposite of that is sin that clouds, that distorts, that makes things hard for us to see clearly. And so we want to see that. We want to hate the wrong path. I mean, I think we all want to ultimately go on the right path. And God always wants our best he always has our best in mind. And that's the path that we want to be on, not the wrong path. 
and sin will lead us down the wrong path. But how do we hate the wrong path? How do we hate sin like this? One, I believe, is by knowing the truth, as we looked at over the last couple weeks, and putting the Word of God in our heart, that when that is in us, it does illuminate our past. We want to know that truth, but also through loving it, loving the Bible and loving Him whose Word it is, loving God. As we looked at three weeks ago, I think it was, making God our treasure. And we will fail at this again and again, but we don't need to lose heart, we don't need to be discouraged, because we are sustained by grace. We are sustained by the grace of God. And the grace of God will always and continually be drawing us back to Him. That's our comfort. And this is what we see all throughout, this, all throughout Psalm 119. If, we went, if you go home tonight and you read all the way through it, you'll see this kind of theme again and again that the psalmist seems to have faced all kinds of adversities, He's been through all kinds of hard situations. It seems like things that we can't even fathom being oppressed and, and dealing with all kinds of who knows what. It doesn't get very specific, but it does seem he is in a, a place of anguish and hurt and, and harm. And he's looked at God's word and he's seen the faults in himself. But all of this doesn't push him away from God. It draws him to him. It makes him want more. It makes him hungrier. He's yearning for it. He's craving it. He's crying out, teach me. I want more. Because it's only through God. It's only by Him, and by His grace, as He works in our hearts, that we are truly transformed. Let's go into our next section, 129 through 136. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. And there you see it again. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. He talks about it being wonderful. He talks about longing for it. And there is a mercy for us, for those who love the Word, who love His Love the Lord and love His name. Verse 133, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Now here again we see this transition. He starts with, the Bible, your statutes are wonderful. And he ends with streams of tears. It's a very interesting transition. And I think a big kind of turning point is verse 133. Direct my footsteps. Let no sin rule over me. Let no sin rule over me. Now does that mean that he never sinned? That he was living perfectly? Do we need to live perfect? Well, no. If, if we could live perfect, if it was possible to live without sin completely, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need a Savior. But the reality is, we desperately need a Savior. Because we do mess up. We do fall into sin. 
but we don't want to let it rule over us. And let's just, I want to read Romans 3, 24, talking about our need of a Savior. The righteousness is given, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now all includes you and it includes me. There is no exceptions. We all fall short. We're all in the same boat. That's what's really encouraging about this. We're all in this together. We're all in a, at a same equal playing field when it comes to this. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. We're in the same boat, and it's a sinking one. And it is our human nature. It is our sinful human nature. And we're all in need of a Savior. And we're all freely justified through grace by the redemption found in Jesus Christ. So that's the really good news that I want to keep emphasizing always in this service, always anytime I preach, that we are redeemed through God's, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's not about our works, so we're not talking about earning something here. So even though we are saved and we're drawn to God by His grace, and we are made righteous and justified through faith in Him, we still fall into sin. Even as, as believers, as, uh, we can understand this truth, but still mess up, still fall into sin. And this is where we need to hate the wrong path in order to live righteous and to not let sin rule over us. And one of my favorite verses on this, James gives it to us really straightforward. He's a, a very direct person in his writing. It's James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That to me is just so profound and obvious. We not need to just know God's word. We have to do what it says. And so the question is, when we look at our lives, if we have sin, we especially sin that's continuing in our lives, are we deceiving ourselves? Do we know the truth, but we're not acting on it? That's a dangerous place to be. And it's not my intention here to make anyone feel guilt or to feel discouraged or to feel shamed, but I do want us to understand that sin is a serious thing. It's not something that we want to take Lightly, and it's something that we want to be fighting and trying to rid ourselves of in our lives as a part of our daily lives. In Ephesians 4, 22-24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And deceitful desires is talking about the things that you necessarily not everything that you want or that feels good is necessarily a good thing for you, is basically what he's saying. That sometimes those desires in our heart can be deceitful and it can be something that's leading us down the wrong path, can be clouding us. And so we want to 
be careful. Not not doesn't mean everything that you, that you have in your heart, or everything you like, or everything you enjoy is bad. That's definitely not the case. But it is something that we have to be careful and judge. And when we have God's word in our, our heart, where that is illuminated to us, verse twenty-three of Ephesians four, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So it's also something. It's not just in our hearts. It's in our minds too. The way that we think. And to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Wow, that's powerful. That's, we look at ourselves and we look at the word and we see this sinful nature, but we have a true nature when we come to know him. And reaching for this true nature as one who is born again, as one who is made new, the old man has passed away, we have we're a new creation, meaning God has changed something. God did something in you. God, the Bible talks about, I think we read last week, gives us a clean heart. He takes away a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And so, we, we long to live righteous and holy. We seek out this true nature. But this starts with just a hate for sin. At least an awareness of its dangers and the deceit that it brings. In verse 136, it talks about streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. And for this, I really wanted to take a lot of time, but we're going to go a little bit quicker. But there is a time to weep over sin. For ourselves and our own life, our own sins, as we look at our shortcomings and our desperate need for a savior, and also in the sins of others, especially people that we're close to, people that we have relationship with. I was actually having a conversation with someone this week, and we were talking about some crazy doctrine stuff and different types of doctrine and God's grace and His love and how He, you know, how He works that out in our lives. And it was interesting because from this it led us to talking about times in our life where we had sin revealed to us in ourselves and how it brought us to a place of weeping because God's grace is first a lot of times at least in my experience reveals to us this deep need for him by showing us our sins showing us that hey from here to there there's a long way before you're perfect enough and the only way is through the Savior, through Jesus Christ. And so, in this conversation, we were kind of looking back on these times that we've kind of weeped, we wept over sin in our life. And um, I want to just challenge you with that, that that is a healthy thing. And it's the it can be kind of a start to hating the wrong path by seeing what it does to yourself, seeing what it does to others. And, uh, in my life, I have somebody that I have kind of an accountability with, someone that we open up and we kind of talk about things we're struggling with, talk about things that we, we need to be working on, and I would really encourage you to have that. And When I think about this, I think about how I want to be at this place where the people that I'm really close with, that I'm really open with, and we don't want to be open with everybody, we don't need to tell everybody all our sins and all our problems, that's not necessarily the healthy way to go, but it is important to have some people in your life that you do have that with. 
that you can be challenged by, that are going to be in a place where they can confront you about things. And I want to get to this place where I don't just weep over my own sin, but the sin of these people I have a relationship with like that. That we would be, I would want to fight the sin in their lives as well as in mine. That I would not want sin to be something that rules over them either. And it's okay to have these moments where we're weeping over sin, where we're, we regret the things, the wrong decisions we've made, but we also don't want to stay there because we remember from Romans 3 that we are all freely justified by grace. And so we, that's where this should lead us to. When we come to these places where we're feeling that, we want to also be led to the hope, the freedom we have. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and that's where we want to land. The whole story has a good ending for us, that we, we want to, to long for the right path, and we want to hate the wrong path, but it is ultimately through Jesus Christ alone that we are made righteous. So this isn't about earning anything. This isn't about trying to live up to something so that we can get something from God. It's about living at our best just because we are so unbelievably loved and freely forgiven. And simply because it's right, it's in our best, and because it honors God. So, let's move on to our next section. We have quite a few left to go through. 137 through 144. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. Now the message here, I'm going to be really brief on this passage, is the Bible is something that's been tested and is proven true. It is something that we can trust in. And that God is righteous and His Word is righteous and true. Now I'd love to get into some cool apologetics and stuff on this topic, there is literally unbelievable amounts. But, I'll well, leave that for another day, but I do want to reread what we read at the beginning of this mini-series in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And that, to me, is the encouragement when we look at God's word. It is trustworthy. Let's move to our next section, 145 through 152. I call with all my heart, answer me, Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes, my eyes Stray, stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So he's calling out with all his heart, this coming again from this place of weeping, this longing for God's word and for him to act in his life. Verse 149, hear my voice 
in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your laws. Those who deceive, who, who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. And again, just talking about how much we can trust in his word, and that his word is something that lasts forever. It's not fading away, it's not decreasing in its value or its trueness. The truthfulness of God's word is as, as potent and as active today as it ever was. And that's encouraging because we change, we mess up, we go the wrong path, we may fail. God's word is faithful forever. And we can always come back to Him. We can always come back to His Word. And those promises will still be true. And we can still look to Him as our refuge, as our strength, as our comfort, as our delight when we go to His Word. And again, He is our comfort in times of trouble. And our salvation is found in these words. It is trustworthy. Let's go into our next section. We can spend a little more time at the end. So 153 through 160. Look on my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, according to, according, in accordance with your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Now verse 158 talks about this loathing, and I think this is an expression of pain, of kind of anguish for people, we kind of talked about this already, but I want to re-emphasize it, for people who know the truth, who've seen the truth, understand it, and still do not want anything to do with it. And this is especially referring to the Israelites at that time, who would have grown up with, with God's commands in their life, and still would choose not to obey them. And he has a loathing, and I think an anguish, and a pain for that. And something that today we should have a pain and a hurt for believers, for people who claim to, to be believers, followers of Christ, who have decided they no longer want to have anything to do with God. They no longer want to have anything to do with any of his word, or any of his commands, or anything that he has to offer. And that is something that we want to be in anguish about and actively praying for, that we can be actively praying for people that we know that might be on the fence, that might be leaning away from God or kind of wanting to go down a different path. We can be actively praying for them. And it should be something that we would even get to this point, this point of weeping over the sin and wanting and calling out for God to act. And in verse 159, I want to reread this, but I want to kind of look at a few different translations. There's a lot of different translations of the last of this, and I don't really like uh, 
just having it as just love. So verse 159, see how I love your precepts, preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your loving kindness, is one translation. Steadfast love, faithful love, gracious love. And my personal favorite version translation is unfailing love. In accordance with your unfailing love. That God's, we sang today, God's love never fails. He never gives up. He never stops loving us. He never stops seeking us and calling out for us. So we know we need to fight sin. We know we need to hate the wrong path. But for that, we want to love His Word. But why should I love the Bible? And when we look at God's unfailing love, the first thing I think of is, let's just take God as creator. That God is this creator of everything, and He has a book that we can hold in our hands, and we can study, and we can kind of look at and, and connect with, to be connected with our Creator. That in itself is so amazing and so unbelievable. But it's not the end. There's more. That in that, we find that this God, this Creator God, loves us. He truly loves us deeply and passionately and un with a, an unfailing love that never diminishes no matter what we do and He sees us as we are and loves us. And know that God loves you may sound cliche, but it's not a cliche. It's not a tagline. It's not something that we should take for granted. It's maybe one of the greatest truths that we can ever hope to understand and to experience in our lives the love of God. The love of God is unfailing. It's always, His love is always towards us. When, we don't, when we're not experiencing it, when we're not, it's because we're fighting it. We're not accepting it. We're not we feel like a lot of, the, I think the most common thing is that, well, God doesn't love me because I did this or because I didn't do this. But in reality, His love is unfailing. And His redemption, His grace is freely given to us. And the fact that God loves us, we might say, well, what is God's love? And for that, I would say, I'm really glad you asked. Because the Bible has a great answer for this. In 1 John 4.10, this is love. Pretty straightforward. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is love. Not that you did anything, not that you earned it, but that you are loved. That's what love is. It's being loved by God. Everything else that we understand about love springs from that. So for no other reason, we can look to Him, we can seek Him, especially in His Word, because we are so unbelievably loved by Him. Let's go into our next passage. 161-168 Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at Your Word. I rejoice your promise, like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Notice every verse is just talking about his love for God's word. 
Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. Every verse, boldly exclaiming a love for God's word. He's found that there's life, that there's truth in it, and he loves it. Oh, that we would have this love this deep love for God's word, for the Bible. Because he first loved us. And I love that in verse 168. You know all my ways. That's scary. God knows all of our ways. He sees the, everything about us. All the flaws, all the faults. And he loves us. And that is a great reason to love his word. But another reason... Besides just that we are loved, another reason that I love God's Word so much is because it holds absolute truths, things that we can truly stand firm on. And for that, I'll read my favorite, for a long time, my absolute favorite verse or passage, and that's uh, in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. And Jesus is preaching truth, but the people can't handle the truth, and they're leaving him. It's too much. And so he goes to his twelve, and that's what we'll be taking on. From this time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Couldn't handle the truth. Verse 67. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, this is my, one of my favorite lines, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. As the Bible is life-giving, where else can we go for truth? The world doesn't have the truth that the Word of God has. For promise, for hope, for correction, for our salvation. This book contains the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing that we can look at His Word. He offers the truth, the words of eternal life. And I know we're in the Psalms right now, but if you're kind of saying, hey, you know what, maybe she's talking a lot about the Bible, I guess I should maybe go home and read it sometime. I would encourage you, a great place to start reading the Bible is the words of Jesus. I don't think they have this in other translations, but in the English translation, they have a lot of the red letter version. I have red letter version. I like it. All of Jesus' words are in red. And it's a great place to start with the words of Jesus Christ. Where else can you go but to the one who has and holds the words of eternal life? Now for this last stanza... I'm actually going to just read the last verse. And the reason is because I want to focus on that for a minute. And then at the very end, as our blessing, we're going to read this together. Because this is a prayer that he's kind of summing up all of what he's gone through. And kind of giving that to God and kind of asking for him. 
to be those things, to, to teach him and to guide him. And so we're going to read that together, or I'll read it, and you guys can kind of just read it in your hearts or read it out loud if you want. So I just want to read the last verse, verse 176, and then we'll come back at the end of the evening and we'll read the whole thing. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. The Bible compares us many times to sheep. And I live out kind of a little bit outside of town. There's a lot of sheep a lot of times, especially this time of year. Not the brightest of animals. Definitely not really something that uh, you want to be compared to. I don't think a lot of people are like, my spirit animal is a sheep. It's not something you really want to connect to. But Jesus and the Bible calls us sheep. We are, and not just sheep. I mean, sheep are kind of, you know, again, not the brightest, but a lost sheep is hopeless. There's no hope for a lost sheep. They're not going to, they're not like dogs. They don't find their way home. They have to go and be rescued from wherever they are. They could probably just be in the corner of the field and have no idea where they are. And they have to go and be rescued. And we are like lost sheep. And our only hope as a lost sheep is to cry out as loud as possible for the shepherd. That's our only hope as a lost sheep. That he would come and seek us out, rescue us from where we are, and bring us back to the flock. And one of my favorite verses or passages about this is Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Man, that's so encouraging to me. That we're lost sheep. We don't, all we, we're without hope. But Jesus is a good shepherd and he seeks us out. So even if you're, if you're lost, you can cry out to him and he will come and he will rescue you. And if you're strayed off the path and gone the wrong way, he will seek you out and he will be so full of joy, he will rejoice over us when he finds us crying, lost, scared, shivering, I don't know. And he rejoices as he rescues us, lifts us up in his arms, and takes us back to the flock. Isaiah 53, 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. That's all of us. We've all been in that position. Every single one of us, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that goes for every one of us. Every one of us has been that lost sheep. And that's iniquity, that sin, was laid on him. That's Jesus Christ for us. I want to invite the band to come back up. We prepare to do one more song. And in Psalm 119, 149, one of the verses we read through today, it says, Hear my voice in accordance with your love. 
And that's what I want to leave you guys with. That we can cry out to Him when we're lost. We can cry out to Him when we're struggling in sin, struggling with the temptation. And He is faithful. Faithful to come and rescue us. Because it's not to do with anything that that we've done or anything that we are, but in accordance with His love for us, He hears our cry. So cry out to Him in any time that you need, and He will be faithful. Let's sing one more song. We want to worship God and ask.